Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by Do The Damage, the only DJ pool focused exclusively on house and dance music, supplying the best remixes, bootlegs, mashups and exclusive promos from their global network of DJs, producers and labels. Check it out now at doingthedamage.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Spotify and on Mixcloud. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house. In this episode, I talk to Mark McCabe about the highs and lows of having a hit record, the opportunities it affords and the headaches it can pose. Mark has had a varied career in music, taking in high-level jobs at radio, building a music studio and looking down the barrel of a second opportunity to chase his dreams in the music industry. It's fair to say Mark has achieved what many of us dream of and his story is well worth a listen. Amazingly interesting and engaging individual. You'll enjoy this one. Trust me. Felix Leiter's In The House. The podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Okay, I'm in a Dublin McDonald's, um, so excuse the background music. And we are by a toilet for some reason, so there may be, there may be some background noise. But I'm here with Mark McCabe um, for a chat about DJing and music. Nice to see you, mate. Likewise. Um, so we're going to start off with the same question that we start every time, which is... What's your earliest memories of music? Like, where, just where do you remember hearing music for the first time? Was it in the car? Was it your parents? Were you listening to the radio? Just, what's your memories? Where wow. did you find it? That question is normally, what was your first record that you bought, you know? So, going uh, a little bit further back than that, my first memory of music, probably uh, Top of the Pops okay. on, on a Sunday evening. Okay. Um my dad used to put it on all the time and record it onto cassette tape and then we'd have it uh, you know for the rest of the week so how was he doing that that's pretty like yeah, technically was, advanced yeah. like from back in the day so yeah. he was like taking like a phono out of the TV or something I, I think BBC Radio 1 or maybe or do you know what though I remember, I remember physically recording things. Like, you know those kind of like rectangular tape things, and you used to literally put it next to something yeah, and press and you take it and in. Play. Yeah, but the quality of it was always much better than that. So I think, I think what was happening was BBC Radio, BBC Radio One might have been simulcast and top of pops at the same okay. time. And he was mad for BBC Radio One and Two. And it off the radio. So I think he took it off the radio while we watched it on the TV, which okay. was extra cool because yeah. we got to listen to it on like a big stereo system yeah. with a crappy little TV. Yeah. Because TVs, of course, used to. N- not have any decent sound yeah. with them at all so probably probably that okay and can, um, so can you remember like even just what that you know before you're choosing what you're consuming can you even remember what that kind of was at that time like you remember what those can you remember like if you've got a memory of just what the music might have been that you were listening to you know like on top of the pops or what your dad might have been listening to yeah i think it was i have that ariston do you remember that track, Ariston? And on and on. Oh, and right, on. okay, okay. Ariston. Yeah. And on. Now, this is like, I would have been four or okay. five. Okay, wow, that's a good memory. Yeah, and the other one, which is sitting in the back of my head, is. I don't know why I have Toto Africa in the back of my head. Okay. Because I think that was even. I heard this crazy, crazy fact about this the other day. Someone in. The lead singer of Toto was. Oh, I'm not going to remember what it is now, and it's going to really do my head in. The lead singer of Toto is like someone's son or daughter, like someone hugely, hugely famous. Oh, well. and it's like, like Bonnie Tyler or something. Okay. I'll, I'll, if, if, if I'm wrong, I'll text it when I get I, home. We'll have to Google but, that. Yeah, I heard, I heard it. Because, like, yeah, but that's... And that's, the, the spinning image tune. 
Do you remember Spitting Image? Yeah. So that was the satirical sort of puppet show yeah. that was on TV. Okay. They released a track which was Star Trek and Across the Universe. Yeah. Uh, okay. That that for that's in there okay. as well. So. so and that leads on to like the question that you said there. So that leads on to like, oh, like what? So did your dad like? Was your dad into music? Did he have like? No. Yeah. Yeah. No. My dad was. Uh, he wasn't he, like a DJ or a musician or a, No, he no. was the complete opposite. So he was okay. the, the dean of Christchurch here okay. in, in Dublin up until he, he died ten years ago. Okay. Um, and up until that point he had kinda that's where he'd worked his way up through the church. So he was a he was a canon he was a reverend, a canon and then a dean. Wow. So he was like a churchman, a godman. So so were you and excuse my naivety here, were you brought up quite religious not at all okay no no which is kind of bizarre yeah so we, we, we would be Church of Ireland okay so we would be the minority okay. in this country because the majority of people are Roman Catholic yep um, so we were kind of the minority and he just had this view that religion was up it was for you to figure out what you wanted to make which is a great of it. view to have and, and the, the journey and faith is all about exploration and finding it out for yourself so he was kind of like you know look I'm not going to force this on you um, and it kind of became it was weird because we kind of grew up backstage at life if that makes sense yeah. because we'd have all these people coming to the rectory yeah. where we lived for you know marriage uh, sort of not counselling but the sort yeah. of pre-marital so, so you, sessions you lived in a in a, a, a house provided by the church that was yeah. attached to the church. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the community around us would have come to my dad, you know, for good times, for bad times, when people died, he would yeah. have read people their last rites, all that type of stuff, so... And was, was, the, was the music of the church ever a big part like like do you remember like do you remember because but so you you didn't go did you go to church a lot like did no, you no <laughs> that's right, i know yeah because we, we kind of felt like you know we live beside it yeah he lives it like i mean he used to work christmas day yeah like obviously. you know and that, that's something that's such a, such a big deal these days but like 20 yeah. years ago yeah you know nobody worked on christmas day you know yeah. it just wasn't done shops were closed garages were closed but he, you know? then he was also would, would he have done this is where i get really embarrassed by my lack of religious knowledge especially in this country <laughs> Would he have done like midnight mass and stuff yeah. like? So he'd have been. Yeah, like, yeah. Nobody would have been working Christmas Day. Yeah, he'd yeah. been working like yeah. late on Christmas yeah. Eve, and they had to adjust it because people kept on coming in drunk, so they pushed it back an hour so they wouldn't get all the people leaving the pub on Christmas Eve. So then, so then, how did you sort of then like? So you've you've heard music, but how then did you discover it? Like, what can you again? Can you remember like? Did you start to listen to the radio? Did you start to like? buy music yeah. like how, we, how did your sort of journey into music begin so I suppose the music the connection through him would have been um, you know the choir in the church okay. or if I got to, I mean especially in the final days the choir of Christchurch is phenomenal like okay. a world class choir yeah. on a different league completely you know um, but he like we had the keys to the church okay. so I could bail over and turn on you know this massive big sort of church organ wow, okay. and just kind of mess away wow you know which was kind of really cool and they also had a, a grand piano in the church as well okay. so i just kind of it started there i guess where yeah like i just was learning piano i was learning drums and i had this sort of access to this great big building which had you know a church organ yeah. and a piano which was kind of cool um and then he would have through the church they would have run like discos okay and he yeah. had a little lamp okay and uh, he used to take the tapes that he recorded and he'd go along to these uh, 
these church discos and he yeah. play, just played music for pe- people cool. that were there. You know? Can you remember being at those? Yeah, like, yeah. Remember going with him? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was really funny because like just spoken to, to Stephen and he's like told obviously without the religion element of it a very similar story. Like he was like my dad used to go and like he, he sort of said like DJ at. At, at these sort of gatherings but he didn't he, he wasn't even DJing he had one record player and one bit of vinyl and then you would not one bit of vinyl but you would take that that song would finish yeah, and, and then you would take that song off and put the next bit of vinyl on and just so there would just be gaps of silence in between <laughs> so he was like he was DJing but without a mixer he was like you know before before there's two turntables um like I've sort of said on previous like podcasts, like my my mum was like a fitness instructor, um, so she used to like make the te- the fitness. She used to make the tapes at home, oh, wow. and then I'd get taken along and sit down like next to her while she taught like a fitness class with the tape that she she'd made. So cool. it's funny how there's kind of a, a run through there of like people's parents playing yeah. already playing music to people yeah. at an early age, and subconsciously you don't realise the effect that it's no, having not at all. Yeah. So, time, yeah. so. And so so. Now to slide into your question, which is that what's the what you thought might have been the first one, which is like, can you remember the first bit of music that you that you procured? Maybe bought, not even bought. Yeah. Was it given to you? Like, do you remember being given something? No, bought it definitely. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I, just to sort of fill in the gap there, I would have, um, I would have then gone through like my childhood wanting to be a DJ wanted in some to, way, shape, or form. Wanted but to play music to yeah, people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what I did was I, I took a speaker put it in the top floor of our house which is where my sister used to uh, her bedroom was okay. and I would be down below and I'd run the cable down I'd plug it into an amp and I'd play her and her friends music <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome which is kind of really gimpy but that's uh, awesome. it kind of um, so you had an older sister I have two older sisters because yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's also like a big thing that's come up recently like Ben sort of said his older sister you know because they, they start to go out before you go out they start yeah. to go to clubs before you yeah that sort of like sort of slightly educated him in the direction of what she was going to yeah. so it's, it's interesting she was a cure head though okay so she was she was full cure and that's the band cure like, that's the band yeah, cure yeah. yeah yeah so she was white face red lipstick black hair and i was everything that she wasn't okay so as a younger brother so that was that time where sort of acid house was starting to come into play yeah um early 90s so the first Record that I would have bought. I'm, I'm not 100 sure, but I think it was either a track called "The Bouncer," okay, which is "Your Name Is Not Down, You're Not Coming In." Yeah. Um, Who was that by? I think it was "The Bouncer." Something like that, yeah, yeah. I bet if you went and looked into who made that, it would be something, oh, something crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then probably it was either a two unlimited track, yeah, uh, no limits or. What was the other one? As Express plays in the background. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mrs. Woods, Joanna. Wow, I don't even think I've heard that. So something around that okay. that time. And you would have bought that on what on a on a physical bit of vinyl, on vinyl like 12, yeah, twelve yeah, inch. Yeah, because I would have been listening to a lot of pirate stations here in Dublin at the time, and uh, it was kind of a you know this wasn't you. Know, log on and you download what you want this was you yeah. know get on a bus go into town find yeah. a shop that sells records yeah. and hope that they have that track you want that I always found it really weird that you know when I got the track Mrs Woods Joanna as example that I was able to go and listen to it from the start and hear the intro yeah. because you'd never hear that normally because people would be mixing it on on, yeah. on radio you know so 
Um, I think I mean, you, you've already touched on some like, really interesting you know, points there that come up, come up quite a lot in this podcast and in my mind, which is the way that we find music is completely different That's now. That's crazy. The way that we like consume music, the way that music is broken in an old radio term or the way that like music is is presented to us you know again like we used to have to listen to radio stations to, to hear a record yeah, yeah and then you didn't have shazam you didn't know and then there was that whole like experience I'm, I'm gonna try not to jump ahead here but that experience of going to a record shop and like especially as a young kid yeah it felt very intimidated oh yeah <laughs> because it was a lot of old DJs in there who knew lots more than you did, yeah. And you were asking us stuff. Um, so, where, so where did, did you these first records that you bought? Did you get them from like a Woolworths or a HMV, or did you get them from a record from shop? record shop? So, so what the, was it called? The man? big record shop here was Abbey Discs. Abbey Discs. Abbey Discs. So, and that was a guy called Billy Murray ran that. Okay. So he that it wasn't was, a specialist dance music thing. It was like a, it was yeah. Or it was. If you want. If you wanted decent dance music, that's where you went. Okay. And if you wanted the promos, that's where you went. Like okay. Virgin um, used to have a store here. H&V had stores here. But they would they would more work on imports. Yeah. So you'd get the import of a track, which would be like three times the cost of a normal yeah. uh, cassette single or a, a 7 or 12 inch. Whereas Abbey was actually selling white label stuff as well. Okay. So it was, um, it was where everybody went. So anybody that was playing on any of the pirate stations in Dublin at the time, including right. me, okay. we all would have gone in there. Um, and we all would have bought from him and he would have been the one who kind of uh, knew who to give the you know the one copy of yeah, yeah. whatever track he got to because he knew that if they played it then he'd have 50 people in the next oh, was week he, was he a DJ like was he uh, was he playing in clubs no, he... no I don't think so he may have been his, in his earlier his days earlier but days. Um, no he was just all about dance music and about um, feeding dance culture so you've, so you've sort of seen your dad doing that thing and you've been sort of playing music of a wire to your sister's room how, how like how do you then so do you know like can you remember the first time you, you saw a DJ like obviously I know your dad did that kind of thing but can you remember the first time you saw someone actually with turntables yeah. and a mixer and like where was it was it like an underage disco or did you sneak into a club or what was the first time that you saw someone DJing like that so it was, it was a place called the Point Depot, okay. which is now the Three Arena here. Okay. Um, so it's the same as the O2 in London. Yeah, a big, yeah. Um, at the time, it was uh, a relatively unknown band called The Prodigy. Right, okay. <laughs> and it was a bunch of other DJs okay. that had come over, and it was just phenomenal. It blew my mind. So it was how old did big, you, were you, when you when you went to a Prodigy uh, gig? 13 or 14, <laughs> yeah. And do, do you know what the cooler thing is? That we rocked down to the venue at, like... I think about four o'clock and the gig was due to start at eight uh, and there was no one else there and we were just hanging around outside and a limo pulls up and the, the lads from the prodigy get out wow, <laughs> and they're like oh you're here for the show wow. it's like yeah man and we were you know wow Absolutely. the guys but I mean that was the time that Charlie had just come out so they were relatively kind of unknown in the, in okay. the scheme of things so so it wasn't a huge gig oh it was big enough yeah oh, eight thousand right, okay. seven eight thousand wow. yeah but it was it was a it was a rave and yeah. they just happened to be on the, the bill. I mean, SL2 was on oh, the right. bill. All right, so they weren't... It wasn't a so wasn't the headline. Show. No, no, no. It was, like, like, it was another, I think it was called Heaven on Earth or okay, something like that. Okay, so it was like a that. big sort of rave. Big rave. Up, but they were, they 20, were watt turbo sound, lasers. Wow. You know, it was the time when they used to put on raves with, like, bouncy castles and anything that they could kind of throw on the poster. Fantasy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so then did you kind of, like... Was it, you know, at that sort of time, were you aware that you wanted to be a DJ and you wanted equipment to be a DJ and, and like when you know can you remember when you first got 
decks? I assume they were vinyl decks. Can you remember when you yeah. first got them? Like, yeah. did, you, did you know anyone else that had them, or like, how did you get no, them? So like, there used to be like a PA company in in where I used to live in a place called Ramla, so a small little village, and okay. there was a shop there called Soundire, okay. and they just did like small PA systems and the Citronic double deck yeah. uh, thing. And I used to go down and just hire stuff. Okay. And I'd just bring it home and I'd just play with it. And I, you know, I'd know other friends of mine that were, you know, maybe doing disco somewhere else. And I'd go, hey, I'll I'll bring some lights. And I'd go down there and I'd hire the lights and use my own money. Wow. <laughs> and bring it to these venues just to just to do it because I just loved it. Um, I used to fill my bedroom full of smoke, you know. <laughs> you still in the rectory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of these stupid things. Um, and if I didn't have smoke, I'd use talcum powder, you know, just to get the beam. Just to try and get, you know? just to try and get the kind of just like to get that the vibe. atmosphere. I mean, yeah, I remember. Yeah. So, what was? So, you, you've obviously you've got these sort of you've, you've got into these gigs. Can you remember the first time you went to like a, a nightclub, like a kind of? Like I guess you might have snuck in at underage, considering you go to prodigy raves when you're yeah. forty. Well, no, you see what happened. What happened to me was I kind of I got to know all these people in these PA shops. Okay. And I used to start hanging out with them. So I was doing like discos for friends, um, you know, d- just having fun. And then uh, I'd bring the gear back and I'd just hang out for the day with the guys. And then they'd say, "Well, we're doing this thing on Saturday. If you want to come along, give us a hand." So I'd just be lifting the speakers out of the the van and putting them up on stands and stuff like that. But it was just being around that yeah. industry, you know. Um, so I did a long time. I did three or four years of kind of just setting up little PAs for conferences and that type of thing. Um, and eventually went on to mix for bands and I toured America with a band and okay. mixed front of house and stuff like that. Okay, so, so you sort of sort of self taught like mix engineer yeah. kind of sound engineer. Yeah, okay. yeah. live so, on the live side. Were things, you so. sort of doing that before you were DJ? Yeah, really. Yeah. Okay. So what happened then was um, I decided that I'd like to try and set up a radio station, <laughs> and uh, sound I yeah, I started by converting one of those little um, sort of FM microphones that you can get that you tune to your own radio that you can sort of you get them at yeah. Argus for twenty quid or yeah. something like that. So I took the mic out and put a line input and started to play, you know, from a mixer one track after another and broadcast to ten people around the local area That's awesome. <laughs> and then from there uh, actually bought a proper transmitter and this is, this is before you have been like a, a club DJ yeah, yeah okay yeah um, and then there was a big pirate station here in Dublin called Pulse FM okay and I used to listen to that and I was always sort of interested in, in trying to see what it was or how it worked or I didn't know much about it because I you know I, I love technology and I love sound and I love lighting but radio was this thing that I didn't really know that much about so um, I got involved with them and set up my own station down in uh, a place called Wexford for a summer, okay. uh, where everybody kind of goes on their oh, was, holidays. Was that and a, a piratey type thing? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So the laws here weren't as strict as they would have been in the UK at the time, because yeah. it was always a case of, it was guerrilla tactics, yeah. you know, in London, transmitters under floorboards, whereas, and yeah. across tower blocks, whereas here you could throw up something and nobody would really care. They didn't okay. have the funding or the resources to chase people down. So we got away with it. And we got away with it to the point where with Pulse, like, we left. So is that uh, the one that you set up? Pulse? So the, I I mirrored it. So I ran a pulse in, in Wexford. Okay, but cool. this was just for the summer holidays. Yeah. So everybody left. So people Wexford, were going down there, staying summer, in their mobile and, home, and you, yeah. and you were just kind of providing this it, little. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. So um, came back up to Dublin uh, when the summer was over, and the guys there said, you know, look, do you want to, you know, do a show here? 
Um, so I just started to get involved with them and we took it from like a garden shed into a you know proper premises in the city centre and we had like 36% of the... And, and that became like an, that became a licensed radio station? It, it did in the sense that it's now a licensed station but it's not the same people. So what they okay. did was they said, look, this because we had such a large... We were showing up in all the market research and we were showing up in... Even though you were at the Even though we were yeah. So, I, mean, I, I was the second most influential DJ in Dublin at a time when, you know, there was all these sort of legal stations. We were just this little pirate station, wow. but yet I was coming up in their... In the radio. In their radio. Well, like, yeah. yeah. So they knew that there was something there. So what they did was they put it out for expressions of interest. But in order for us to apply for the licence, they said, well, you're going to have to go off the air. Okay. So we came off the air. We put a consortium together, which included people like Paul McGuinness, U2's manager. You know, we went at it proper to try and yep. sort of really nail it, but... Uh, a guy called Dennis O'Brien got it. Uh, he's a multi-billionaire okay. <laughs> at this stage, and he owns a lot of sort of radio groups right across. He it's Communicories, his group. Okay. So they've got stations in the UK, yeah. you know, as far east as Russia. Um, big player, and uh, he got it. So I mean, what we did was we kind of proved that it was viable um, because before that there was never any kind of sort of almost post a. a dance music yeah. specific commercial radio. dance music that's right. what we played so we did towards the end of it we started to play a bit of R&B and hip hop because that was starting to come around yeah. um, but ultimately there were a couple of other pirates that were playing you know they'd play 12 inches and it would be you know a guy coming in between saying hello to somebody and give us a shout and here's the text number whereas we were actually playing uh, you know two and a half minute three minute edits hot 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 quick links in out and it was the station everybody was listening to so was that getting you DJ gigs at yes. this point. So, so the way we used to make money out of the station was we used to run gigs. But but you but but interestingly, your route to being a club DJ, if you will, was more through being a radio DJ. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of mass exposure, because the station had such a big audience, um, they put on gigs and two and a half, three thousand people would show up. Wow! So it was like it was an immediate thing for me to be able to kind of go from to cross over unknown into you know oh it's your man and so how did you how did you find how did you find that like had you been doing gigs before like or did you just ultimately go from almost nothing to these quite big? yeah and how did you find that i just i just blagged it i just kind of went okay <laughs> right so I, you know and i set it up in such a way that and you I was always like, doing this as matt mccabe that was from the yeah, start you that yeah. was always your name yeah um i i would have um I just it, like it was a huge venue. It was in an old cathedral, funnily enough, called the Temple Theatre. Okay. Um, so it was an old church that had been converted into, into a club, and it was this huge stage in this huge room, and they had good lighting and they had good sound. So I was like, I can't just go in here and just you know start to play music. I've got to do something here. So I just went right. Well, I'm going to start everything with like Karma Barata. You okay. know, that big operatic yeah. thing. So that was my opener because I'd seen Michael Jackson use it. Okay. <laughs> and it was really good. Um, and I just said to the lighting guy, look, just put a spot down and, uh, you know, this will be the intro. Sounds and, pretty and epic. it was like, okay, what am I going to do here? So, you know, the track starts, the spot's on, and I have a mic, so I just started screaming. Started just, you know, hyping the crowd and, and doing that. And that's kind of where it all began. It was just like, awesome. you've got to do it. So yep. you might as well try and do it with some uh, so what so, so what sort of... What Sort of time are we talking here? What is this? What sort of time? Would have been nineteen ninety-seven to nineteen ninety-nine. And this is and this is like this is when like just pre-millennium. This is when like stuff is just huge. Like clubs are huge, dance music is huge. 
everything so, is just getting massive stuff's going on like daytime radio like yeah. dance music is just you know if you think dance music's big now yeah, yeah oh yeah it, it, like it, it was completely yeah different. nothing compared it's ridiculous to, yeah, and the amount of people the amount of clubs that were around yeah. the amount of people that were in clubs yeah um so is Pulse, has Pulse gone off and come back on the air now, or is it still on the no, air? No, it's still off. Right, so okay. I mean, it, it finished, it wrapped up, and everybody went their separate ways. So okay. uh, a few of us went and worked for the state broadcaster, which would be the equivalent of Radio 1, which would be, which would be 2 FM. So RT, yeah. yeah. So we, we, were, like, we were on the surfboard on that wave in the sense that as everything was building, you know, from 95 up to 1998, we were there with Pulse, you know, on a local level in Dublin. And then once and that finished... Dance music, like, you know, kind of feels better when it feels a bit underground and a bit like, yeah. you know, when you were doing that naughty pirate station. And yeah, like, yeah. Everything feels great. But it's real, nice. you're living it. Yeah. You know, it's not some kind of corporate agenda yeah. that's driving it. It was us, like, we were listening. So did, it, did it feel quite different going to, to RTE 2? Did it feel... Yeah, it felt real. Like, it was like, this is, you know, we had, like, satellite trucks that we could bring down to big raves in a field okay. you know it was like we've, wow. we've got the world at our disposal here you know um, and it was it was that time when all those big brands like Gatecrasher Creamfields they were all coming over Correct. here yep. they were all running shows here we were the guys who were running you know the scene here as Amazing. such at the time so, so you do sort of live broadcast from there and obviously yeah. you were getting the DJ on those kind of lineups and stuff yeah. because you yeah. were part of exactly of, of the radio station yeah, yeah. So it was great. I mean, it was a massive weapon to have at our disposal. Yeah. Um, and like that, we, we used to run the programming from 6 o'clock on a, on a Saturday evening to 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Yeah. So it was called 6 to 6. Yeah. And we'd started off with like a commercial dance chart. Yeah. And then it would gradually get heavier and heavier as the time went on, you know. Wow. And that would have had the impact in the sense that if I was playing a track on the chart, the next Monday it would be in the top 30 commercial chart. Yeah. You know, we had that sort of that much... Um, power because there wasn't, you know, Spotify. There wasn't all these yeah. internet radio stations. There wasn't all this, you know. So it was, uh, it was a really good, exciting time, and it was great that. Are we were you doing so? Were you like a kind of a resident at any club then, or were you just? Or was that not really as, as big on your agenda? Were you more like I'm a radio DJ and I do some events, or were you also like kind of doing the same club every Friday night, or did you, did you not really work because of the radio? Or how was it? So I was the guy who released a record after Pulse closed down in 1990. Okay. Yeah. So in April 2000, we released the track. Yeah. Uh, with Abbey Discs. Yeah. So this was a track that we had recorded at one of these kids' gigs, the under 18s gigs in the Temple Theatre, and started to play it on the Pirate Station. Okay. So it became. When you say recorded. So literally, it was a rap over a 12 inch version of another band song okay so if you uh, the band was for rhythm yeah they released this track on on that track they had a 12 inch version which was instrumental except for the hook which yeah. was from Maniac yeah and then uh, we turned it into this kind of shouty it's a sort of is it in fact I'm not I'm going to let you describe it <laughs> have you heard it <laughs> yeah I mean I'm, would I be wrong to say it was it's not happy hardcore but no. it's but it's 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 very fast. It's entirely unique in its proposition. Okay, <laughs> I think that's probably the best way. I mean, I've I've gone through most of my life trying to figure it out <laughs> exactly what it is, what or why. And I mean, what it is ultimately is that I mean, music is an escape. Yeah, it's a way for people to re- remove themselves from their daily life and to you know envelop themselves into something uh, and and escape. And for some reason, this particular track has just 
like it's as big now as it was back then did so I um, shout out to Ridney by the way I've just discovered Ridney's podcast it's called um, Secrets of a Dance Hit right okay you should check it out if oh, you really like it I just discovered it recently um, and he talks about like how a, how a hit came about how a big record took shape so and I've, I've heard the record I read about I read this about you ages ago actually and I'd forgotten until you brought it up so was it how did it come about I'm not going to put words in your mouth how did it come about was it an accident was it planned was it was it something you thought about lots or was it a bit of a, a bit of a kind of set of circumstances yeah a set of circumstances and just a natural progression okay so it was something that was being done if you take this 12 inch version yeah it, was, it existed so people were doing a rap on top of this yeah and I just so happened to be in the position where I was doing the main room at these gigs and people yeah. were sort of saying will you do it you know, or will you play it? So I didn't know it in its full t- entirety because an, another DJ in, in Dublin called Al Gibbs had sort of been the one that was sort of taking it forward. Yeah. So me being in the position I was doing the main room, he was downstairs and he was doing a much cooler sort of underground thing. Yeah. And he was quite happy to let me go at it. So um, it just got adapted. I added bits, took bits away. Other people had, had said things. You know, we took little bits from other places yeah um, as dancers it and, uh, as you do and uh, it just what ultimately happened was we recorded it and we started to play it so that one take that one night was just what it was just what it became wow and that's where it went from and, and 22 years later it's uh, it's like a cultural it's it's a I don't know what it is so what so, honest, so let's even just talk through like so what happened like so Pulse had just closed down when yeah. this sort of happened yeah and then so what did you do? Like, what was the journey? Was that did it get signed to a label? How did it get signed to a yeah, label? Yeah, so it get Abby, released? How yeah. did it? So Abby came along and he said, "Look, I want to put this out because you know people are asking me for it the guy all the Discs. time from Abbey Discs." Yeah. yeah. So this is the Dublin dance yeah. dance shop, um, and he said, "I want to put it out." So we went, okay. So we went about re-recording another version, um, just to keep things clear in terms of mechanical and all of that. I went out to an under 18s disco in a place called Clontarf and we had a room, five, six hundred kids. They all knew the words. We said we were recording this and we just recorded it. And we took home the multis. They were in bits. They were all distorted because the kids were so loud. loud. They were just, you know, blown levels all over the place. So we went back into another studio, overdubbed it and then just presented it. And so was this, but this was after you'd been doing the sound technician stuff for the band? Yeah. So this gave you a whole... Because it's really interesting. This gives you a whole level of knowledge about multi-tracks, yeah. about mixing, about putting together one final bit of sound yeah. from lots of different layers yeah. that you might not have had had you not done that other stuff. Yeah, I still managed to mess it up, though. <laughs> And so Which did, is, did he, sorry, carry on. So then, how did what did he do? Did he put it out as like an unofficial promo, or did he get? No, so he put it straight out. It was. And, did you uh, not, and you didn't need to get any clearances or any. I think he. You see, it's a Michael Sembello track originally. Yeah. So I think I'm not sure whether he put it out first and then they came knocking and he said, "Okay, well, look, let's do a deal." Yeah. Or whether he cleared it in the first place, but okay. they took fifty percent of it regardless. So. Which is to be um, fair, like not that bad really like because they could have yeah. they could have oh, taken everything yeah they yeah. could have potentially yeah. asked for more or, yeah. or taken yeah. more definitely um, 
But yeah, it went so, out. And so did he put it just out on his own kind of independent yeah, label? Yeah. So it was the thirteenth release on his label. So okay. he would have th- he would have put out things like uh, the K idea, Q U E idea. Yeah. I don't know whether you'd know that, but a really hard yeah. kind of uh, mid nineties dance track and a couple of local guys. Um, I can't remember what other tracks he put out, but it was it was his thirteenth release. Okay. And uh, he put it out. I think it was February. I think it was around Valentine's Day. Okay. And the first week. It went in at number two, and we were like, "Wow!" In like what is the overall Irish, Irish chart? Yeah, official Irish top thirty, and this was like, you know, this is pre-internet. So how did he get it distributed? Like, was it in like, was it in, was it in Virgin and, and Woolworths? Oh yeah, and those? yeah. So, so they would. So he'd already had. So he already had a label. So he already had a distribution it, deal. So he, to get yeah, stuff. he knew right. he knew how to push it out to people as such. So, but it was literally he was printing it up putting boxes together and his brother was driving them to the Virgin Amazing. Megastore you know Amazing. so it was kind of it was real on the ground stuff um, so first week at number two and then the next week it went in number one and then so how did that change your life uh, <laughs> in loads of different ways yep um, it did ten weeks at number one wow so it was kind of like uh people just could not understand it because it, like if you listen to it it's just like in the scheme of things it just doesn't make any sense at all and you listen to it going what the fuck is this thing like but when you actually when you're part of it or if you're in a club and it's played or you know when I do it live it's just this rush of energy that is kind of undescribable and I think it's it's because it's so unique that once you see past the, the nonsense yeah. it, it actually becomes something which is kind of good fun so how did things change for me um, in loads of different ways because I knew that it was going to take me a long time to get over it I knew it was <laughs> even at the take time me, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean I, I remember saying to somebody like three weeks in going I think I shot myself in the foot here because this has become so big that any other sort of ideas I had in terms of being able to produce or to, to write or create music was always going to be tarnished now by this because this was a time when dance music was growing but at the same time you know there was still Blur Oasis Radiohead yeah um, so it, was, it was there was a massive indie there was a huge indie scene yeah big time yeah, yeah. Uh, like Dubs all these really good bands so there was there was a, a lot of sort of. Are you into that stuff? Because oh, I, yeah. I was massively into that stuff. Mm. I mean, I was, I was, I was. I mean, I could never have the hair to, to do the Liam Gallagher haircut. Yeah, yeah. But I remember going. You know, I remember being well into Oasis, going to see Oasis, but also be going to Three Beat in Liverpool or mm. Piccadilly in Manchester and buying mm. house music. And so it was, it's just interesting that you know, for me, it's really interesting that you can. It's an interesting point out to people, I think, that you can be part of these different scenes. You can love that. And yeah, because I think some people get hung up on that. Yeah, Especially mu- in this day and age, sometimes I, people get hung up on... I call the musical racists. Yeah. You know? And it's like, who are you to tell anybody that they can't enjoy or, and or listen to? the difference between guitars and dance music, even yeah, within the world of dance music. And people are like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, know, I like Genres techno, and, or yeah. I like, yeah. you know, Deep House. Oh, that's not yeah. Deep House. This is tech. And it's like, guys... Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> come on, do you know what I mean? Like, you love music, you love music. Yeah. yeah. But that's almost a click in itself now, you know? There's almost like there's a, there's a whole part of the industry which is people who moan and complain about it, but yeah. never actually contribute to it in any other way yeah. other than moaning and complaining about but it. But it's know, so, so interesting that you even knew that this monster had oh, yeah. taken control yeah. even when you were at the start of yeah. it. Yeah. No, so were you doing loads of gigs? Were you getting booked out for shows yeah. all over the place? Yeah, but the problem I had is that I was it was a conflict. So I was doing this kind of dance show um, you know, on the radio and playing semi-cool 
uh, you know, trance or yep. uh, kind of hard dance at the time was kind of big. Um, yet there was this commercial track which had reached out to a much wider audience. Yeah. So I was going and playing gigs and playing kind of cool, you know, stuff on Nucleus or you know even Mara Bocato tracks, stuff like that, and people were just like just play this play mania you know <laughs> so it was kind of like oh for fuck's sake like, did you instantly did you instantly feel the financial rewards of of that like did your life change on that sense like, yeah did, like did you go i'm not asking facts and figures here yeah. like, obviously especially not if any tax individuals listen no. <laughs> but i just mean you know because we've i think everyone who's been involved in djing has had different highs and lows like so i was obviously um, talking to Ben, ben the, a couple of weeks ago who's a young lad in Hull he's done super super well and he's earning decent money now mm. but he's obviously still young do you know yeah. I mean? he's not married he doesn't have kids he doesn't have a mortgage yeah. you know I think he still lives at home yeah. so it's like and so I, decent money for one uh, is not so decent uh, uh, for another yeah you know? and I had that point you know a few years ago now where I felt like obviously I wasn't a millionaire but I felt like yeah. that level of disposable income was crazy yeah. and then you know not too long ago I felt like the money I was earning wasn't going far yeah. <laughs> but my I think my interest in, in this is like if you you sort of felt this just this change all of a sudden where there was yeah. a, a big difference in what you were earning yeah well I mean I remember going to a bank machine and looking at my my balance and it was like 7,000 uh, like, Irish punts at the time and right. going wow like flip neck like yeah. that, that's money and then the statements came in as to you know what I was due and it was like 40 grand but it didn't all go that way so I, I went okay well look I've got this money coming yeah. So I went and bought a load of gear because I knew that, you know, I needed to figure this out. I need to learn how yeah. to produce. I could mix, you know, live bands, yeah. but as for producing and you know, sequencing so what did you and. To go and get? Um, I bought a couple of Max. Yeah. Like a MIDI controller, a Nord lead, yeah. a couple of other synth modules, um, and just set it all up. A couple of S5000 samplers. Okay. So just enough to kind of get me, you know, a pair of speakers, a, a mixing yeah. desk. Enough to actually start right sitting down. Okay, this is how you make a dance track. Because yeah. I hadn't produced yeah. the previous track. I had just featured on it as yeah. such, you know. Um, so I went to the bank and said, hey, I'm due all this money. Here's the letter that says I am. Yeah. They gave me a bridging loan. And then three months later, it all fell apart. And uh, when I was due to collect my earnings, I was handed a contract. And this contract was like 60 pages. And it was like, you're in this deal. You've got to deliver six tracks. <laughs> so it all went really wrong. And on the back of that, then we had a lot of UK interest from a couple of labels like East West okay. and Warner. I think we're in the we're in the midst of oh, a, the original a, record on the, on the uh, main yeah. yeah. So they saw it. I mean, it was it was front page of uh, tip sheet at one stage. You know, all the music industry magazines in the UK were going. This track in Ireland has done ten weeks in number one. It's yeah. going massive. Oxide Neutrino. I don't know if you remember that, yeah, yeah. but that was kind of like I think it was the Casualty theme. Okay. So they sampled the Casualty right. theme, yeah. and that became a massive hit there. But it was it was the first sort of time that relatively unknown producers would, would in the studio were getting yeah. into the mainstream yeah. charts so that's what they saw you know mania as so it all just fell apart and we all started to fight with each other did it ever get licensed up to a bigger label for like no, the UK no. that's the bidding war was there and, I, right. and we, we sat and we, we were talking about it and they came over um, to try and do a deal and we were talking like 120 sterling for them to license it and it was just it wasn't taken 
Billy didn't really know how to sort of react or respond to everything that was coming at him, you know? Um, And in the end, they all just went, you know what, we we can't deal with this. This is a shop in the middle of Dublin. It's not a record label. We've flown over. We've put 120K on the table. He's still saying no. You know, that's that, you know? So, which is kind of... It's a shame. Well, I don't know. Because I kind of was at that point where I was like, look... It's done what it's done. It's got me to a point where I'm sitting in a room with a bit of gear. Now it's up to me. You know, now it's my... This is my time to now learn okay. how to produce and how to put everything that I've learned about so sort of dance music at, at into play. So at this sort of time, you are, you've had this massive hit. Mm-hmm. Are you currently on the radio? Yep. So you've still got a week, you've still got a week radio yep. thing... And you're still doing club gigs? Yep. Um, are you, is, is this like a residency now, or is it still just gigs? Is this just touring just, all over the country. It's just touring because yeah. of this, this huge yeah. beam off of a hit. Yeah. You've sort of got your, your studio set up. Mm-hmm. What's the next sort of, what's the next few months and years look like? What happens? Signed a deal with Universal. Okay. So they, uh, they signed me up and produced an album. So just you individually, this is yeah. like without, um, this is without the, the record shop. Yeah, this is, yeah, this this is, is me on my own. This is, this is them taking me, yeah. yeah. So, okay. I mean, part of the reason why they took me is because I think they wanted the rights to that track as well. Did they get it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Take that's it the comes. way it goes, yeah. yeah. And what was the so, deal, I'm, I don't want facts and figures, but you got a chunk of money up front? I got a bit of money up front, uh, yeah, not, not massive, yeah, but uh, enough to sort of... the deal was to, what, write an album? Do an album, yeah, because albums were still being produced at that yeah. time, you know? A, a, a trance album? A no, just album? go off uh, and do whatever you want to do. Okay. So that's what I did. I went off and I kind of put together an album which... Um, <laughs> it was... Groover Mad were really big at the time. Yeah. And the likes Please, please, of, Yeah. Um, Lemon Jelly. All of that kind of sort of chill pop yeah. was really big. So I kind of put this sort of... It was a journey album. So it became... Like, I went too far the other side, shall we say. It, it was... Uh, it was Mark McKay Presents Music from the Fourth Place. Okay. So the Sounds fourth, very concept Yeah, oh yeah, it was. Um... <laughs> And you know there was some nice stuff on it, um, but it just did the label get a shock when you played it to them? No, they were they were really behind it, you know. Cool. So I think they saw that you know I wanted to move on and progress, and there was no way that I was going to come up with a follow up for this thing because it was just such just a monster. Like, yeah. It just doesn't happen, you know. Um, so I mean, probably what I should have done is come up with a completely different name, a different alias, and a different alias, and yeah. gone at it that way because the, they wanted. But then the record label might, yeah, not. they would go, "Oh, your brand, you know." And so, but the problem there was that there was this sort of preconception on who I was and what I was about, what you were going to put out, and what I was going to put out. So I put this album out. Critically, did really well. Um, commercially, not so well. Um, the label didn't really put too much behind it at the time. I think they were just kind of servicing the the contract, to be honest. Um, because it was, I think it was just a little bit too early that that kind of sampled electronic sound wasn't really there yeah. yet. You know, people weren't that open-minded to electronic music in that way. Yeah. Um, it was either it was a commercial pop dance thing or it was the other side. And while all this is going on, you're still on the radio. Still on the radio, yeah, still doing. And you're still doing gigs. Yeah, and yeah, you still yeah, at, your, at your gigs. You are not playing what you are making. The gigs you're playing harder stuff, trancey yeah, stuff. Yeah, like. yeah. Um, so 
and and still a problem I have to this day is that I was kind of going down three or four different paths at the same time. Yeah. I hadn't focused it into one particular, you know, yeah. avenue. And, that's, and I think that's a... Different people always bring up different points that, that really perk my interest. And I think that there is a really interesting one. And I've had that conversation with myself a lot over the years and still ongoing <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thinking about it on the way here, um, <laughs> literally. Uh, but even with other people, you know, I've set up recently a little kind of management thing with a friend and like we're, we're looking at some younger people now and like trying to help them... Um, not really financially, more just... And I think that's one of the things that, that I've said a lot to people recently is... Obviously, it's great to love everything and it's great to, to be involved in a lot of things, and I certainly have done that. But I think I think you can see that sometimes success comes when, when you become very narrow in your focus mm. and you decide that you're going to be in this place. Now, it's not always easy to do. Yeah. Um, it's not always natural to, to do that. But it is interesting that you bring that up. And, it's, and so, it's so basic. And I don't know where I read it or where I saw it, but the worst thing you can do in marketing is confuse your audience. And yeah. that's like, if people don't quite get it, they don't get it. Yeah. That's the end of it. And it's the worst thing you can do. How long do you think it took you to write the album? Uh, we did it over six months. Okay. So, um, and this was literally me going into a studio, booting up the things for the first time, Installing software for the wow. first time, you know, <laughs> figuring out okay, this is a this is a, a MIDI roll bar. Uh, you I mean, know. That's pretty impressive. Mm, well, I don't know. I kind of have the I don't know. I don't know about reincarnation, or whatever. But I definitely have had some had some kind of it. download of this technology because it was to me it was just like okay, I've got a keyboard. I have to connect that to the computer. There's yeah. a MIDI cable that goes in there. I have to have a MIDI interface. Everything just kind of made sense. But that's one side of it. Like the technical side of it is one side of it. Yeah. I'm really good at that, but getting into actually producing music and getting into an intro and outro yeah. and you know creating something which makes some kind of sense in the scheme of things, that's a, a whole different game. So the, the fourth concept? No, the fourth... Music the, from the fourth place. The yeah. fourth place. Mm. So music from the fourth place comes out. It's yeah. released. It's Flops. released on <laughs> Universal. It's released. It's released on vinyl, CD, uh, both CD at the time, CD. just CD. Yeah. Um, so, and I've never released an album. I've released plenty of music that's flopped, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I've never released an album. So that must be quite mad. So that, like, there's a day when that then that that CD's turned up in Virgin HMV yeah, yeah. in Dublin and yeah. other places. Yeah. What happens next? Well. I started to see that the placement in the shops wasn't quite what would be expected, you know, in terms of like... You weren't getting those ends no. <laughs> on the star entrance. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of like looking at one little poster, you know... On the back of a door somewhere. Yeah, yeah, going, okay. <laughs> but, you know, we put two singles off the album. They both went top ten. Wow. Uh, we got nominated as a well, you know, best that's, newcomer well, I, I, I stuff like that. So, yeah. then, no, well, yeah. It's certainly not a but flop. But in the scheme of things, it wasn't something that we could then... Yeah. I, I guess what I was looking for was something that maybe I can put together... You know, a, 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 live, a, a live thing, thing and put it on a stage. That groove yeah. thing, the basement yeah. jacks thing. Exactly. That kind of like, yeah. okay. Exactly. So, um, so what happened after that? How, I, how did you? How did you? And, and you know, this is another thing that's, that's come up recently, like that mental health side of things. Like, how did you? 
how did you deal with that? Like, how did you deal with that kind of like? Because you, you've obviously had this adulation. You've had this ten weeks at, at, at number one. Yep. You've had big record labels come into the shop, offering yep. you know big deals. Like, you know, and, 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 and I've never experienced that level of success, but I know how good it just feels when things are going your way. You yeah. feel great. Yeah. How did you sort of compartmentalize? How did you deal with? the album not quite doing what you wanted it to do did you did you take it quite hard did it motivate you to do more stuff in the future did it point you back towards the sort of live music that you were playing just how I'm just interested in how you felt at that sort of time I, I, how I dealt with it was probably that I stayed off drugs okay so um, just you know putting yourself into that headspace okay um, just kind of stay clean stay yeah. sober yeah uh, I wouldn't say stayed sober but certainly just like you know Ian Cope were everywhere yeah. at that point so um, I was able to sit on the sideline watching it Okay. and I could I could see what was going on around me therefore I had much more clarity in terms of what okay. I was trying to achieve and, and you know when everybody else was off their face and recovering the next day I was up and I was back at it okay. you know having seen one of my favourite DJs and seen what they were doing okay. I was able to take it home Okay. and digest it in a way that you know I could remember it and apply it to where I was ultimately trying to get to okay um, what happened next after all of that was um, I kind of gave up I think and I went you know what maybe this is just something that you know because people were still pushing at me going oh maniac man I love that track that's great was there a know? point so I watched this documentary I've watched a couple recently actually if you haven't seen them you should check them out they're interesting I think they're on um, Vice One's about Kerncraft, uh, like Zombie Nation. Oh, yeah, and yeah. One, and one's about... Darude. Um, yeah, one's yeah, about Darude. Yeah, There's yeah. been a new one recently, which is the blue... That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I've seen them. Yeah, and they're, and they're really wicked. They're and, really and especially, good. you know, even someone, more importantly, from someone from your perspective. Yeah. And, and I guess, and, and we'll maybe come back on this, but obviously that, that record has, has had a life as well in the sense that, you know, it, 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 it peaked and there's probably a time when you didn't want to do it or you didn't oh, want to completely. be associated with yeah, it. Yeah, completely. But maybe there's a point now where it's coming back and you're like, oh yeah that, that was really fun and those yeah. times were really great but I suppose we, at that time you were like trying to we maybe, can get to that <laughs> yeah so, but, so maybe at this point you sort of trying to distance yourself I, yeah, I had enough from that so, a little bit yeah, I was done I was kind of like you know what whatever um, because there was the nastiness in the sense that the business side of it kicked into play and yeah. you know people just you know started to go for me in a way that you know I just didn't want to have to deal with because it was you know jealousy or yeah. you know I don't know what it, what it was but it just turned into something that wasn't fun anymore okay um, and when there were lawyers and all sorts of shit like that involved it just became too much but I mean all the way along I was still working in an RTE so I was still, still doing stuff there still on air still doing a radio show but even with the radio show came off the dance programming at the weekend and started to do like uh a mid that's cool a nighttime sort of playing okay. cool music to yeah. people um, like a know. Zane Lowe type show exactly right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so people who were finished in college or school cool. they were getting ready to go to bed um, and then sort of just focus more on what RTE was and what opportunities I had within there yeah all the while I'm building an arsenal of vintage studio equipment okay and setting up my own studio okay so I kind of figured out how to restore old uh, you've obviously, obviously got an aptitude for that kind of like technical I guess. side of stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. 
um, so the, the plan was to put together this kind of vintage studio and where people know, could come, come and, and track yeah. so using because everybody was starting to use their own laptops and so on yeah. what was missing was the, the ability to go and to have record through stuff. this outboard yeah, gear yeah. Yeah. so that was kind of uh, did you have like, really nice compressors and like, all that kind of uh, stuff as I, well man, I had every sort of wow. trophy compressor wow. or EQ or anything that you could think of wow. I, I, I had it I, I bought a vintage Neve console over nice. from America. It was the only one in the country. Wow. It was like phenomenal sounding. Okay. Just incredible sounding. And what was your studio called? Uh, ADA, ADDA. Okay. So we, we had it in a house in uh, Glen Eadie. That's where it finished up. Some big locks and some big doors. Yeah, but it was in the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> it was kind of like nobody knew it was there. That's um, always the same machine. I know so many people. Like my mate, my mate has uh, con- converted his like double garage and it oh, was yeah. like ridiculous. Chips. It's got like floating floor. I mean, wow. It's not the same as yours as much as it's not kitting it. Yeah. But like he's sat, he's a he's an engineer. Okay, so he's wow. like he's tried to get it as you know and yeah. it's like it's just, we should have hooked up because that's would, what I missed. But you would never but you would never know it from outside and then yeah. even like there's like, the guys from um, I don't know if it's still there, but when I first moved to Newcastle the guys from they've just got back together weirdly, but the guys from one of the guys out the lighthouse family had this studio oh, wow. in Newcastle and it was in like just the middle of a council estate and you'd oh, never wow. have known where it was. Go, yeah. But, but it people, was just people have this perception that these big hits are made in these big studios when a lot of the time it's actually in some blogs house but yeah but it, was, but it was amazing so, so, so you and was was that like a was that a definite was that a business decision like yeah. were you like build this studio yeah this can be a right okay cool yeah because I, I knew that I was I had I had learnt enough to be able to record other people yeah and I had kind of hit on something that a lot of people were missing in that I was able to replicate much bigger sounds in a much more economical way okay so I had a lot of uh, sort of jazz or orchestral based acts coming to me okay saying oh you can you can make it sound like we've hired a 40 piece orchestra you know wow okay um, so I just was using techniques like layering one player so multiple times at this times point you're still like, you're in RTE yeah. you might be doing a specialist show you might also be doing like a more like um, not, not specialist but still not, not dance like a yeah. cool evening show yeah are you still in clubs? Are you still doing? No. So, you, so you've stopped, stopped doing the kind of the yeah. club side of things. Yeah. You're concentrating a little bit more on IT, and you're building this studio, exactly. or it's built, and, yeah. you, and you are engineering people, yeah. recording, yeah, people. and producing, yeah, engineering yeah. and producing. Okay, cool. So, um, so that you know, ironically, at all, at the time, it was really hard to figure out what was going on. You know, what am I doing here, and where is this leading me? But. Um, you know, if I was to bounce from where I was then to where I am now, everything that happened, good or bad, has stood to me, you know, in the last two or three years in particular. Okay. So what happened from there was um, all this gear, all this studio uh, stuff, um, getting ready to move it into a premises with, you know, floating floors and <laughs> yeah, big walls and, and so on and so yeah. forth. And mood, li- mood lighting. Yeah, mood lighting, LED. <laughs> and uh, the economy crashed. So then I was left with all of this gear that nobody had any money to, you know, come and hire the space that I was hoping to build. Okay. The bank stopped lending, yeah. so I couldn't get any more sort of cash in to, you know, take the, the project any further. Okay. Um, and at the same time, Orti, you were sort of saying, well, there's this kind of full-time gig here in terms of setting up digital radio because we didn't have DAB here. Yeah. So would you like to come and do that? So I went, okay. 
and I took a full-time job with uh, RT. Okay. So I sort of focused on developing a couple of radio stations for them. One was like an indie rock thing, one was a dance station, which we called Pulse. Yeah. Um, and just sort of worked on developing DAB in this country as the successor to FM. Um, and alongside that, did a few sort of web projects, uh, websites, that type of thing. And, so you, um, sort of, you sort of, in, in many ways, became like a, a digital business development yeah, manager yeah. for the, 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 the for broadcaster, yeah. Yeah, for RTE. So we, the department was called uh, New Media. So that's what we were responsible for. Okay. Was, you know where what's happening and with the still, internet. You're still on air talent at this point as well. You're still, still on air. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So all all the while, I've always been on air. Yeah, I've always had some some kind of relationship with with radio on air as a presenter. Um, but this was all very much in the background. Um, and I kind of had a frustration with two of them because I wasn't working. I, I was on air with two of them, but I wasn't part of the controlling structure. Okay. So I was just showing up doing my show and yeah. complaining that my drink, my jingles were shit, the voice was shit. You know, why are we playing <laughs> this song and all of this? Yeah, yeah. Who would have, who would have, so, have thought. thought it? So no, because I had my sort of with Pulse, I was the only paid member of staff. Okay. So I programmed Pulse. I was responsible for putting the music on air. Yeah. We playlisted Pulse. It wasn't like everybody coming in and doing their thing. Yeah. We we had a, a playlist in, in place. So. I kind of from the from the outside was looking at two of them going this is wrong and the audience figures were going down and down and down and I'm just going I know why you know it's really obvious yeah. can you not see it um, so I kind of looked from the sidelines and uh, eventually got the opportunity to go in and actually I became head of music there wow so I took it on okay. and that was um, about five years ago okay and pretty impressive it's, it's gone up it's now, you know, they've hit the target in terms of the share that they wanted to get so to. So in some, and I'm sure you could answer this question over the course of five to six hours with various PowerPoint presentations. Yeah. But if you could, in a sentence, a paragraph, Yeah. what did you change? You know, when you, you, know, when you were that guy on the sidelines yeah. going, listen, listen, I know what's going on. Listen yeah. to me. In, 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 in real layman's terms, what yeah. did you change? Like, what were the things that you went in and went, these are the things you have to do right now to, to turn this around? Everything. Okay. Everything. <laughs> Literally. Everything. Like, I went in, I had this theory when I was with Pulse, uh, when we were in the shed in the back garden of somebody's house. Yeah. And we had, like, a dodgy transmitter with just a, a full-range compressor. I was listening, going, why don't we sound like that, that station? They sound massive. So I found out that the reason they sound massive is because they've got multi-layers of processing, and they use a thing called an Orban Optimod. So I was like, let's get the Optimod, because if we get that Optimod, when we start playing stuff, we're going to sound like them. Okay. And then it was a case of, right, well, the cable that's running down to the transmitter from the, the shed is a bit crap, yeah. so let's change that. Yeah. And then let's start working backwards, right? So we've got our good aerials, good transmission, good sound, then the studio. Let's rebuild the studio. Let's figure out, you know, how can we make people more yeah. comfortable? How can we make people sound better? And it was one thing I did was I put a compressor on the mic. It had its own compressor, yeah. and three or four of the DJs went, "Oh my god, we we sound like a legal station." Yeah. So they started to think in a different way in the yeah. way that they were on air. So, a state broadcaster is a difficult place to be if you want to impact change. Yeah. Because it's it's done a particular way for a particular length of time, and people get comfortable and get used to it. When you come in and start saying, mm, "That's not really great," you know, people start to go, "Well, you know." 
and we have a union and you'll have to talk to the union about this type of thing so but literally everything needed to change the imaging was wrong how it sounded was wrong the on-air talent was wrong not that there was anything wrong with the people but it just for what they were supposed to be yeah they were trying to be a youth station 1535s with 50 60 year old djs yeah and worse than that they had like this anchor show uh on in the middle of the the morning from 9 to uh 11 which was a huge show and um you know really well respected presenter but just in the scheme of things didn't make sense it was more like it was it was all about that show because marketing companies were spending their money with that show and nowhere else which is also a really interesting point that RT as a state broadcaster still has or still has has advertising on it as Mm. opposed to the BBC yeah yeah so and do 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 RT still collect a license license yeah yeah, so they get the best of both worlds and and still complain (laughs) that they haven't enough money yeah so how does I mean like again I know we could save it for the RTE podcast but how does that work in the sense that obviously the BBC has all these Rethian values or whatever do you know what I mean and and they obviously don't answer to any answer to a lot less commercial obviously I know I understand about BBC Worldwide and selling things but radio for more example how does that affect uh, RTE in the sense that even from being Pulse did you have adverts on Pulse when you were doing it illegally yeah we did but they would have been like a local clothes shop or I mean most of the ads would have been our own events I suppose suppose I'm asking you a very difficult question to answer because you don't know any different but I suppose it's just it just seems seems strange to be almost a public service broadcaster yeah. on one hand because you're receiving a licence fee but, but then also, also answering to advertisers yeah. because they have their own needs yeah. and it's, so, it's uh, quite a unique challenge yeah I mean the, the I mean the obvious answer to that for that is that the population base here is a lot smaller okay. so the expectation that we have as a nation for the quality of the content that's produced versus the amount of people that are actually funding it when you take away the 4 okay. million people who aren't paying their license fee you know uh, it becomes tricky like okay. I mean they without a shadow of a doubt they need the commercial revenue in okay. order to survive because well, it just sort sense. of tops yeah. up uh, you know things and um, yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a really tricky and I mean, Orsi is in a very, very, very difficult place at the moment because of that. It's kind of like, well, what are you and what's the point and what's your purpose? Like, yeah. you know, and, well, we're public service and we, we uh, maintain the, um, uh, you know, we, we, we promote Irish language, we promote Irish culture, we ensure that, you know, the future is safe for generations, we give people a voice and so on and so forth. That's fine, but, you know, it can't be that all the time. Because, we because people's expectations, but people want else. home and away. Yeah. You know, they want um, Love Island. Yeah. You know, they want all you know proper sort of popular culture TV. They don't necessarily want you know so, restricted programming just because it's ticking a box. What happened to the studio? So what happened to the studio was I sold everything. I said the desk went back to America, and is that half the price I paid for it? You. This is an awkward question to ask, but is that because you had to more than because you wanted to? It just didn't make sense anymore okay. to have um, that amount of in storage. I mean, it was pretty much in storage. It was being used at one point, you know, but then it was like he, the guy that I was sharing the house with, uh, he moved out. He stopped using it. He was throwing me money every so often just to kind of keep things going yeah. because he was making money from from the studio at the time, doing yeah. his own thing. Um, but it was just a case of I can't have this sitting here in storage and I mean luckily yeah it was it really (laughs) was because and I was so invested in it I mean the psychology of um, Rupert Neve 
if you've ever heard of Rupert Neves. So Rupert, I, I'm not, I'm not like, yeah, but I don't know the psychology yeah. and stuff. So, I mean, it's the last... He, his, In a nutshell, he has this theory, which is basically um, above and beyond. It's not a theory, it's... it's uh, you know, it's physics. Above and beyond what we can hear, there are waves produced. Yeah. And his um, circuitry and the way that he put things together um, really enhanced that to the point that like there's an awful lot of like early sort of mid seventies tracks that would have been made by Fleetwood Mac and so on that would have been recorded on Neve Gear. Yeah. And it's got this Neve sound. So yeah. any engineer will know what I'm yeah. talking about when we talk about that Neve sound. But ultimately, what that is is it's capturing and enhancing frequencies which are above what we can hear yeah. and perceive. Normally, and it's more, uh, you know, on a. Is that where the trance? Is that where? Is that where the guys get their name from above and beyond? Is that? Is that where? Is, it, is that possibly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just when you sit out. Yeah, possibly. But I mean, there's, de- there's definitely something different between listening to an MP3 and sitting there and listening to, you know, an analog amp with analog speakers and an analog record deck. Yeah. You know, there's something missing, and we don't quite know what it is that's missing. But what's missing is all that frequency yeah. that's been sucked out in order to make. The file size much smaller. Yeah. So that the it's the perception. It's how you perceive those sound yeah. waves and how they affect you. Um, and and just Need Gear in particular had a really nice way of of distorting and creating harmonics and subharmonics yeah. that you know we don't hear or understand. They're just there. Yeah. But they affect us uh, in a way that we can't understand. So to lose that. Yeah. It was so, such a big thing, and I put so much time into just so, learning how to re- reverse engineer things and. DJing wise, did you have you ever gone back? Did you ever sort of go back into clubs? Oh yeah. Bars? So oh, yeah. so so then what? So there was there was that point where you sort of sort of turned your back on it a little bit. Yeah. And um, you concentrated on the RT yeah. stuff. And at the time, even was concentrated on the studio. Yeah. How long were you away from being in clubs and bars? Ten and years. So what yeah. made you want to go back? So. <laughs> This is uh, so. This is where where I am now. Three years ago, yeah, um, there was this opportunity to um, perform at a big festival here. Okay, and I think I've seen the video. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's again, it's been awful. Like it's it, it's not for me. That's well. pretty fucking awful. To be honest. <laughs> but anyway. Um, it's just this thing that people love, and it's and and that record. It's come that, back. It's that track. Yeah, it's come so, back. It's it started off by uh, Nicky Byrne from Westlife was uh, presenting a show on Two FM, yeah, and it was a particular day where the track was 15 years old. So he said, "Joking me." Was, oh, was this about three years ago? This is three years ago, right. like 2015. Yeah, April 2015. Um, he went on the show and he said, "Let's get this track back to number one. Go iTunes, buy it." Right. And it went back to number one for like. 16 hours or whatever it is you know it sold 300 copies or something silly like that yeah so there was this like so I was upstairs you know scheduling music for the day and he's downstairs pushing this and then you know I go down and and they tell me guess what you're back at number one so it was just ah that's cool that's nice and whatever but I guess it was the first time that I kind of went you know maybe I should stop being so silly about this and whatever but I kind of ignored it I went ah that's great fun and hooray and, almost, you know, didn't, almost didn't want to hear it no, part of it, yeah. let, let's go back to because at the time I was like uh, head of we, music at, head of music uh, yeah, station it's, it's, bringing Ed Sheeran in for like an audience with yeah. you know filming it for TV turning it into a TV program you know my head was somewhere yeah. completely completely different 
So then I got approached by uh, one of the big electric providers here, Electric Iron, who run a stage at the Electric Picnic. Yeah. And they do this kind of nostalgia stage where the witch door. Uh, Gabrielle or, like, like the pyramid know. stage at Western, was yeah. it the Sunday afternoon slot yeah well, kind of <laughs> the yeah. Dolly Parton gig yeah um, and they said do you want to play at, at, at our stage and I went you know what it, the circumstances I was in at the time um, I kind of really couldn't say no so I went yeah why not you know and shit myself for weeks going Fuck, what am I going to do here like I haven't I haven't done a gig in you know 10 years and here I am going to go out and do this and you know I'm going to show up and there'll be 6 people at the front who you know think it's great and then there'll be 10 people you know halfway through going wanker you know it's it, and, and, and like just just to start sorry for a second and I think whether you've had a, a huge a huge it's been at number 1 for 10 weeks or whether you're a local DJ who's going somewhere that feeling of anxiety and paranoia mm. and thinking that everyone's I mean I still to this day I've been doing I mean I've been doing digital for 14 years I've been you know I've been playing a similar sort of music on a similar sort of night for years I still worry that at some point it's going to be a quiet bit and someone's going to go wanker <laughs> and it's like and you, when you think about it rationally you go why the fuck would that happen yeah, yeah. and even if it did happen yeah. what does it fucking matter yeah, who cares yeah. but I but, and I think that's why in this industry like we like that whole mental health side of things needs to be talked about and yeah. like, sorry to interrupt that story but no, like, no. I do think it's really it's really important because if anyone who's listening doesn't ever perform in front of people I think everyone feels like that no you have to I mean that's what that's what makes you you know become bigger and greater yeah is by by getting through that moment of complete sort of fear and, and anxiety and I guess I mean I would be a victim of that in the sense that um, I would have focused on all the negativity that was coming yeah. at me so it it, it could have been that there was like 90% positivity and 90% but of people were saying that. but you'd hear the one thing or you'd read the one little post on, a, on an internet forum yeah. and that's what you'd remember and you'd yeah. go why did that guy say that yeah. you know what is it like hmm. and then you dwell on that rather than you know oh I love this track it's yeah. made my life please bury me to this I want this played in my feet yeah, you, 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 yeah, you just bypass all oh, that's gone yeah. yeah it's always the one that you know this guy's a cock yeah. then you go why am I a cop? This guy thinks I'm a cop. And then you overthink it. And you're overthinking it. <laughs> but I did manage to sort of manage that to a certain extent in that I went stupidly to the point where I would go, right, well, okay, who are you? You know, and I'd, I'd try and talk to that person and see if I could, you know, I, almost to see if they were right. Yeah, yeah. You know, who is this guy? Or, you know, has he got a point? Or is he just, you know, some tosser? That doesn't matter. And yeah. 90% of the time, of course, they were tossers. But then also, what people... and you touched on it before it's not something I normally bring up but you know some people in the industry often use substances to atone those feelings yeah. and then sometimes those substances can get the better of you and then that just yeah. makes everything else a lot worse oh, do you know what I mean and, and, and obviously you mentioned it before yeah. which is which is why you know I bring it up you know but some people you know and I have I certainly use alcohol to, to, to manage anxiety at times before mm. gigs and during gigs and then you know you know we're all kind of aware of some things that have, haven't gone very well for people recently like you know Avicii and things and you know there's obviously a, a level of like substance abuse there mm. um, and it's yeah it's, I mean I don't want to get bogged down on it but I think it's just you, you raised it I think it's an important thing to cover which is yeah. just that level of anxiety and paranoia that can be part of yeah, things and, huge. and how to overcome it but anyway you then turned up to the festival yeah turn, yeah um, 
I they arranged all these interviews pre it, and it was kind of like really weird because it was you know oh my god here I am back you know doing all this stuff and we're talking about the same thing again. I can't believe it. I am. I'm I'm a one hit wonder. That's all that was going through my head. Was like, wow, it's quite a bit of non hit wonder. Yeah, no, that's let me tell you. That's a, that's a very valid point. Um, and then we went over. We we went over to the. We started to walk over to the stage, and I got a text from somebody who said, um, "Oh my god, it's Rand." And I was like, "Oh, okay, that's that's going to be cool. Good start. Um, that's a good start." And just got over there, and there was just like this, like I'm sure you've been at loads of festivals, but you get a point where it's normally about seven or eight in the evening. And the sun is kind of disappearing, and but there's still a bit of light coming through. But there's like this haze, haze yeah. over the crowd, yeah. and that's what it was. It was just like Amazing. outside. It was like 15, 20 people deep outside the tent. But, but and as well, like young kids, right? All ages. Who, who probably all but, ages. But, but lots of young kids there who probably weren't old enough to remember yeah. this. Oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. And would have heard it from their parents. Yeah, or which something is amazing. Like that, you know? Yeah, and it's, it is one of those tracks that's just been sort of generational and it just falls down from, from yeah. one to the next and just keeps on going. That's the thing that I can't quite get my head around. Yeah. Um, but it was just this, it was this moment where there was so much love and energy uh, in in the arena for that gig that I just went, you know what, I don't, I don't care anymore what anybody says about this and how shit or how crap or how cringy or whatever you can't deny that and when it's on such a level when you've got such an outpouring from people and I mean it was a case of that I did it it just blew up and then just afterwards it was just this this moment of like appreciation from all of these people where I just went like, who the fuck am I to deny people this? You know, <laughs> if this is what people want, give it, give the, give, give the, the people, people what they want. want. Exactly. You know, and that's the that's the, the reality. So, 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 so that must have been like, you know, I've talked to you before about you've been, you know, super open and honest about it. Like, and credit to you. Like, but you know, I've said to you before, how did you feel about you know post album? Mm. And I wasn't trying to make you feel bad, but then at the same time, this is a whole other like total feeling. Like this, uh, almost like a sense of freedom. I guess yeah. that you've come back and almost like. Release the demon yeah. that perhaps was within you for a few years. But it just kind of—I think it shut up. It shut up a lot of people, and it just kind of—it—it it was this moment where people marked that. Look, this track is very much a part it's of our cultural yeah. history. Yeah. Um, and for it to be in, to be at that point, 15 years after it was first released, yeah. so we've gone through the it's out, we've gone through the it's going to be a massive hit, we've yeah. gone through the well, it's fucking shit, well, it's not techno, what the hell is this? To um, now, everyone loves it. To now, it's just been one of those things. And then, so what did what did that do? So is that what got you DJing again? Is that what you got yeah. you? Is that what made you think I really want to get back to to DJing, yeah. to playing records, yeah, to being? All, yeah, I, I guess I kind of went. You know what? Let's give this another go. And I think I was given the opportunity to have another go. Um, and I was much better prepared this time okay. because I had been through, you know, setting up a studio, building consoles, building EQs, yeah. you know, restoring mics, yeah. um, being touring with bands, having done live sound. Um, and then on the back of that, I now had this added weapon, which was that I was, I was a music playlister. Yeah. So I was spotting Lewis Capaldi, yeah. you know, three years ago yeah. before he got to the point where he is now or um, I always forget his name got the long hair 
Oh, why do I always forget his name? James Morrison? No. no. Hold back the river. Hold back the river. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh, you know. It'll come to me another time. But spotting people like that and being able to say that's a hit. Yeah. You know, well in advance of everybody else. Like Sean Mendes. Yeah. Stitches. I heard that like a year and a half before he broke here. And I just went, that's like no brainer. Yeah. No brainer. Put it on, played it to death. Yeah. None of the other stations followed. And it kind of just went, oh, well, yeah, he's got a bit of fan base, whatever. And then eight months later, he's gone, you know? Yeah. So I now had this sort of ability to be able to. James Arthur. James Arthur. No, it's not, no. Ah. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, Google, Google while we're talking here. You know, I had this ability to be able to spot uh, hits. So have you never you know? done any? Have you never done any A and R work? Have you never been approached for a label? Have you never? Have you ever thought about having a label? And you know, obviously you thought about having a studio, but James Bay, James Bay, James Bay. So have you ever, have you ever thought about doing A and R stuff? For like, yeah, well, I suppose you are. I mean, yeah, you are doing A and R, but not, you're not doing that for repertoire. You're doing talent spotting in a way. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you kind of got to get, you got to get in really early to be really good with A and R. I mean, there's a couple of people that I'm seeing at the moment. Uh, there's an Irish girl called uh, Ali Sherlock, okay, and she's on Grafton Street every day of the week, okay. Uh, that she can be there. She's down in Cork and she's busks. She busks, and then she puts it up on her Instagram, okay. Um, so I saw her when she had maybe you know a hundred followers, and then it's now like. Close to a million, and she's wow. best mates with um, Ryan um, from. Oh God, my brain's gone today. Uh, Ryan Tedder. Okay. Um, you know, Rico's friends. She's been over with him. Okay. So they've obviously got some kind of plan together yeah. now for her, um, and she's going to be massive. You know. Okay. Um, I wouldn't have the time to put into okay, that. Yeah. You know, I did say to her dad at the time because he put up a post about some of the kids in her school being mean. I did say, look, if you ever want want yeah. to, you know, so uh, talk to, uh, yeah, yeah, just feel free. But it takes a lot of time, a lot of investment. Yeah, to, to find something like that and push them on. I'd love to go into a label um, and maybe take that on someday. Yeah. And there has kind of been talk of going there, but for me at the moment, it's about. I kind of came off the back of that gig going, right, well, if I've got another chance, let's see what, what we can do here. And, of course, the world has changed in 10 years. Yep. It's no longer I need a, a, a studio and yep. know, a building and all this. I can take a laptop yep. and I can go anywhere in the world yep. and I can create you know, yep. as much as I could 15 years ago yep. on that laptop. So the first um, sort of venture into that was with Gavin James. Okay. So I got approached by Gavin James to remix one of his tracks. Yep. Uh, and that was Nervous. Um, the Usom. So I just literally bought Cubase, um, put it on a laptop, got some samples, started, put them together and started to try to figure out, right, well, how would I want this to sound? If this was landing on my desk, yeah. if I'm in work in RTD, how, how could I, how, yeah. how do I make this it's translate really, and you to mentioned that? reverse engineering before, which I think is a really interesting point because we do that a lot in the studio. We're like, we want, it, we want it to sound like that. How do we get it to mm. there? And like, so you've made a really good point now, which is if I'm going to remix something, how would, as an A&R, well, but as a playlister yeah. for a radio station, I how might I like this yeah. to land on yeah. my desk? Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. So, and that was my, my first sort of venture into that. And it just it blew up. Again, I got really lucky with it. it. It's gone platinum in France and the Netherlands and wow. I think in the UK as well. It's 160 million streams wow. on Spotify. And it kind of broke him in, into Europe. Um, 
And this is so. alongside remaining the head of music for no done left. okay so, so so was that a dis- was that a decision because of this or was or was it something else going I'm not trying to dig too deep in yeah. did, did you did you leave because you were like I'll have another chance at this yeah. okay wow yeah ultimately wow. it was just you know a peculiar set of circumstances okay. that put me in a position where it was like I'm on this stage I've done this gig Let's it's just gone you know so well and people are now going oh come on you, you've got it you know you know what are you going to do now and I was like well I guess give it a go again because I'm I'm better prepared and then it was a case of right well they were asking me to remix this track for Gavin I really like him yeah um, that's put out it's done you know massive numbers and I'm going okay maybe there's something in this yeah so I just started to sort of take tracks that I liked so James Arthur safe inside yeah um, fired that over to them they were like look we're, we're kind of done with this but we've got this next one coming up um, they handed that to me um, 15 million streams on it now um, so I kind of got into that sort of kick and click thing but <laughs> the problem is Maniac doing this thing yeah um, me as a, as a DJ kind of sort of skirting on the side of what Maniac's doing yeah. but trying to do something else at my live shows yeah and now I've got this 105 BPM monster hit that people in France are going oh we must bu- book this Mark McKay yeah how do you play 105 BPM in a yeah. club you know so you still have this? that original Problem's not the right word. Yeah. You still have that same set of circumstances <laughs> where you're kind of doing a few different things, yeah. Yeah. which isn't always terrible, but it isn't always totally perfect no. either. No. So, okay. and I guess what, what's probably... And has that brought us pretty much up to date now? No. Okay. Um, so, uh, all of these remixes, Gabriel Applin, Jamie Lawson, uh, Gavin James... This is over the last two, three, me, the last two, two years. Two and a bit years, yeah. yeah. Um, so then, collaborated with the Sunset Brothers on a track called I'm Feeling It. Yeah. Um, massive track here. Um, more in line with what I'm doing as a DJ and so on. And, um, again, went double, double platinum in the UK, I think as well um, and then sorry in between all this I've signed with Universal again okay so back <laughs> to, to do 10 tracks for them okay. no longer an album okay. so they don't do album deals anymore it's just about doing uh, sort of individual tracks so so with a particular remit as far as BPM or style goes no, no do again, what you want kind of, yeah okay. do what you want type of thing so I mean the Sunset Brothers collaboration was with them um, I did a collaboration with LMC yeah which was uh a story for another day okay um, but they would be more the club side of things the stuff that I'm doing of my own would be more sort of commercial dance pop okay um, are you still doing do you still are you still doing gigs where you would play that harder trancier sound or yeah. is that so that's the majority of the, of the live shows the gigs that I do would be that okay um, so I start in a particular place and then I kind of have to steer it towards the end to get to get to, to get, mania. To get yeah, yeah. Uh, which I reproduced so I reproduced the version just for me to sort of play out live so that it kind of matches more and, and what sort of like as a, as a you know a fanboy DJ here what, what sort of gigs are you doing are you doing student unions are you doing the cool clubs in town are you doing the commercial clubs in town are you doing both are you doing all are you doing like what, where are you getting yeah. are, you, are you a resident somewhere or are you no, just getting so it's, no it's, residency so, so, so it's all guest sh- slots yeah all guest and slots so what kind of clubs or every kind of club or there's only really one kind of club outside of Dublin and okay. that is just it's a club or it's not and sometimes right. they'll run techno nights okay. or they'll do kind of boiler room type of things or okay. 
you know, majority are, you know, 17 to 25 years. So that's what's what it's at. So yeah. initially when I started sort of playing out again after the festival, yeah. it was all people... 35, 40 plus who, who, who were coming back on. oh it's your man okay. but I kind of knew very quickly that, that if, wasn't gonna, it's not going to last yeah. so if, I, if, if I'm going to sort of maintain this and reinvent myself I've got to sort of focus on the 17, 25 year olds I was so, stood there um, I think it was two weeks ago in digital and it was like Slado on and uh, I was just look I mean because like, Slado used to be they used to moan him, I think one of them used to make dubstep one of them used to make um, drum and bass and stuff and obviously they've you know very successfully created this brand and, 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 and everything else and I was like watching them DJ and like you know they were technically completely proficient as anyone at that level would be you know nothing staggering but completely, yeah. completely fine and yeah just a really young audience and you just sort of stood there and as I mentioned before like thinking about what I'm trying to do and where I'm going you, and exactly you just totally hit the nail on the head which I'm thinking about at the minute which is if you want to play in clubs You've got to be relevant to 17 to yeah. 25 year olds. Yeah, otherwise you'll, you'll burn clubs. really quickly. Because that's you know, who goes so. to nightclubs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's you, you make, a really, so. make a really good point. Now we can all, we can all you know, tell you it's all about our art and, you know, and, 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 and make, sit in a room and make what we want and then play it to our friends and tell them it's great. Yeah. But if you actually want to go out and make money yeah. and perform to people yeah. in this current, and we'll get onto that, in this current market situation. Yeah. That's who goes to nightclubs. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it's about. I mean, I'm I'm blessed in that you know I do what I do and I love what I do, but I do it in a way that I've had to sacrifice certain elements of it. In that, and I you think know, that if anyone tells you anything different, they're fucking lying. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, I, and I mean that genuinely and sincerely, and yeah. I mean that from from Cox to fucking any any band, Night Survivor, anyone who's, who is completely 100% purely driven by their own artistic and doesn't make any concessions for the market or the audience or the crowd, no. I, I don't believe it exists. No. no. <laughs> I don't believe it can. Yeah, and it's funny because of all the people that I kind of met over the years, that would be, you know, way up there and I've met some, some sort of pretty big yeah. names over the years, they would all... You know, I would kind of go, oh, I had this hit, and this, but, you know, it was whatever. And they're like, man, don't, like, you, you had a fucking hit 10 weeks. That's amazing, man. Yeah. That's brilliant. Whereas the people who would be, you know, way down the pecking order that might see themselves as wannabes, they'd be the ones going, you know, you could have fucking done this or, or that or choked, you know, stroke my chin and so on. Like so I say, better than non hit wonder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, so. I think it's also, it's, it's, it's also a really interesting part point just that kind of like second chance and I think even second chance belittles it but the fact that this sort of Thomas because it wasn't like it wasn't like you had it you had your moment then sat in your underwear in your house for fucking 10 years mm. going oh bemoaning it all you went off you built a studio you built a radio station you built two radio stations you know you're on a talent but the fact that it's kind of come around again I think shows the secular nature of the music industry yeah. the secular nature of dance music yeah. you know a lot of things you know I'm start, you know I started to buy Soulful House on vinyl when I first started buying records progressed through all sorts of stuff and now I'm making disco stuff again yeah. like, that's the kind of secular nature but you're watching you know someone like Patrick Topping at a huge you know festival and he drops something random oh, or Dennis Ultra <laughs> you know, and you're just going man like I was playing that when I was out. Yeah, and that, you know, yeah. it's, that, it's that video, isn't it? I think it's of, of Dennis at the AVA in Belfast a couple of years ago when he plays Sandstorm. Do you know what I mean, yeah. it's like kids yeah. there, like it's yeah. like, just opened their eyes to that music. It's like people like me and you were going, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, so, so, so is that so, 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 where, so we, are we now up to date? 
Pretty much, yeah. So I'm now I'm signed with with Universal now. I mean, this was and you're a few tracks into that deal. So I'm sort of four tracks in. Are I you just still released on air on a radio station? Yeah, still still with a radio station. So, so which yeah. one's that? Uh, it's a, a sort of quasi-national station here called iRadio. Yep. So um, see what's so, on about that. But you so you left the on air at, at RT at the same yeah. time as you left the kind of the. The other roles that you were yeah. doing for them was there a point when you weren't on air, or did you go straight to iRadio? Probably for two months, three okay. months, or something. And like what show that. do you so do at iRadio now? It's a dance show, so okay. it's a pretty credible dance show in the in the scheme of things. Yeah. So um, like I play Friday night or Saturday night. Or Saturday. Is it pre-recorded or is it? I pre-recorded. So they're okay. based in a place called Athlone, okay. uh, which is probably an hour and a half, two hours drive from here. So I recorded at home. For I actually drop it into Google Drive, and that's that's linked to their playout system nice. so they don't even need that's to amazing. do anything that's amazing. so I could I could throw in two hours of fart noise yeah. <laughs> and, that's it would, and it would go straight there you know which is great the technology and, and we touched on it nightlife wise how has things changed in Dublin over the period of time that you've been involved in stuff when you mentioned Huge. the way clubs are closed like yeah. clubs are closed everywhere yeah you were mentioning that things, hotels have changed. Yeah, and... it's just, it's all, like, they haven't got enough hotel beds in Dublin city centre. Okay. So they've just gone on this mass, uh, you know, hotel bed spree, where they're just trying to build more and more and more hotels. Okay. And there is the demand for them, and that's fine, but what it's done is it's sucked that culture out of the city. The last club to sort of go here was a club called District 8, which was in a place called the Tivoli, and it had everybody from... I mean, Dead Mouse was there a few a few months ago. Okay. You know? um, everybody's played there, and it was just a real dingy... I mean, I did gigs there years ago, um, and it's just a theatre, and it, it just had a vibe, and it had an energy and to that's it. Closed. And that's gone now. They've knocked it down, and they're redeveloping it and putting the hotel there. So there isn't really any clubs left in Dublin city centre. Wow. They're all just kind of late disco bars, and okay. even that late is two o'clock. So there's a huge push and a huge campaign on here at the moment to sort of give us back the night yeah. um, and to extend licensing hours or to stagger, you know, clo- closing times. So what's the latest I could be in a nightclub? On a Friday or Saturday night in Dublin, probably about half two. Is that shocking? Yeah. Really? I mean, Newcastle's got pretty draconian licensing laws, and digital would be open to four on a Friday, Saturday. Yeah, now you'll find some places that are normally full of guards, <laughs> off-duty guards. You know, so there's a very famous place called Copperface Jacks here, which yeah, is yeah. full of nurses Stephen and, and guards. Up. Yeah, and they they go till kind of whenever they want to go. <laughs> you try and you know put on you know a club somewhere and run till just doesn't half matter. three four o'clock. They're just they're in and they're they just. And I think it's I think it's that nighttime economy thing is a real shame, man. Because and obviously I'm going to say that because I'm massively fucking biased. But that nighttime economy thing is a real shame and like. You know, the fact that there's not venues open until 4, 5, 6 in the morning. Now, I know why, because alcohol is not great for people's health. Potentially, there's antisocial behaviour, things here. But if we think back to our use, the sort of time that we had going to nightclubs, you know, the friends that we made, mm. you know, the adventures it shaped, the times it did, you know. I mean, we used to get in cars and drive, you know, to Newcastle, Liverpool, Glasgow, Man- Liverpool. I mean, we used to get the train to London. We used to get the last train to London, go to Ministry of Sound all night, get out of Ministry of Sound at 7 in the morning, get the first train home. Like, and I think it's... I know there's different things for kids now, I know there's different things, and there's different ways to meet people, but I do think it's a shame that, 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 that we have in this country or in, in Europe as well, not just, like, in the UK or in Ireland, but, like, I know so I speak to DJs in, in Germany, in France, in, um, in Spain... I beat through doing it all the time. 
it's Devon just seems to be very anti the kind of that nighttime economy, like nightclubs. I mean, I beat the crack down on the West End really heavily last yeah. year. Um, well, th- that probably wasn't such a bad thing because I think that was starting to get out of control when the focus was really just about shots, get drunk, yeah. get in there, get out. I'll give you, sorry, I'll diverse just for a quick second. Ministry yeah. Sound, you mentioned because I mentioned all about it and you'll, you'll appreciate this. In amidst all of this commercial sort of uh, nonsense that was going on with me, I can people perceiving me as being, you know, a dope and, and <laughs> you know, not, not in any way cool or credible. I uh, produced a couple of tracks and got signed to Twisted Records, which okay. was Danny Tanaglia yep. and uh, a guy called Rob Stefano. And Rob yep. Stefano um, was given a CD of one of the tracks and played it in Ministry. Okay. And I had based the production of the track on this big sub noise and it just blew Ministry apart. He, he fell in love with it. So I managed to get signed under an alias to Twisted which is this New York house label, yeah, travel house label. It really, cause didn't wasn't music because the answer first released right. twisted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that was going on in the background whilst so Maniac why was So out why there. didn't you... So what was the name of that alias? Digitribe. So why didn't you... And this isn't a big, like, why didn't you? Just a general question from yeah. one DJ producer to another DJ. Yeah. Why didn't they go more that way? Yeah, well, no, no, not more, but why didn't you consistently... Why didn't you keep that in the background... All the time, like why weren't you doubling in that stuff? There wasn't enough money in it. Mm. You know, in the scheme of things, it was kind of like yeah, it just wasn't. (laughs) It was like I was at a point where I was getting you know silly money to do a 60, 90 minute set. Yeah, yeah. And to do this, it would really have to be for the love of it. Like you know, I was unknown. Yeah, Uh, it was cool and all, but like I I mean, this is even now you could bring that back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, now you could bring back that alias. But now I'm kind of going, you know. How do I how do I do it? like I'm competing against guys who like you say uh, might still be living at home and are quite prepared to get on a plane, fly into Europe yeah. and play at some you know small club for a few beers. Whereas I'm yeah. going, no, I'm not really going to do that anymore yeah. because if I hang about, I'm going to get a call next week that's going to say here, yeah. you know, travel here and you'll get all your expenses paid and you know. Uh, come and see the Australians in, yeah. or, or come and see the Irish in Australia yeah. or Dubai or, or whatever you know so it makes a lot more more sense so. if there's but, so if if you've got any advice now to people trying to get into DJing what would that advice be? <laughs> into DJing or into producing? either either any or like so and you don't, I don't mean all but I mean like would you say get some records going playing your local club or bar would you say get a laptop open Ableton or, 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 or Cubase would you say go and try and find you know and I know, I know that's a silly question in no. the sense of you know do what you want to do but if, if you've got any if you've no. just, you just got a bit of advice in you that you think someone should hear yeah. what, what you know what, what, what's the advice not the guidance but what's the kind of like it's definitely not do what you want to do um, and definitely not go and get you know a laptop and start playing at open bar because that's what everybody's trying to achieve now yeah. you, you really do if you want to be a DJ you've got to figure out how you can incorporate something of yourself within that performance okay and that will ultimately unless you're someone like uh, or whatever his name is the guy the blonde hair that appeared at um who's that tom- was it Tomorrowland last oh, year oh the guy the Salvo Natori or whatever, or whatever called, yeah. you know whereas it's just like a, a stage performance yeah. it's a gimmick you know just be best mates with uh, 
yeah, with Axfell and, yeah, and, and Grosso. That's, yeah, that's, that's, like, that, that's not going to get you. Is that where he is? He's or really good mates. Is he? Yeah. Grosso, okay. Yeah, he's really good mates. All right. So he's so, getting but, a few opportunities. Like <coughs> but, the, but the chances but, of that but, happening are just not going to happen yeah. for you. You know. So I mean, the best advice I would give to somebody is, you've got to start producing music. Okay. You've got to produce music that fits with the kind of music that you play as a DJ. You know. Yeah. So the kind of style or whatever it is that you believe in. Okay. And ultimately, what that comes down to, when it comes to producing and production is you know I get people send me stuff all the time and it's a track and it's a kick drum and it's a bass line and it's a riff and it kind of starts there's a middle and there's an end and it's like completely uninspiring and they're missing they're missing the point and the point is that every track that you listen to is always an idea it's always something that somebody has done and it's that idea so when you listen to Taylor Swift or you listen to Swedish House Mafia you can pinpoint the idea where they've gone so that's the idea you know you've got to have ideas it can't just be oh we're going to just throw a load of noises together and it's going to be you know a kick drum moving into a bass line into this big synth pad thing there has to be some angle there has to be some kind of so the point I'm getting to I suppose is have ideas have loads of ideas because ideas are the things that flourish into something um, and become something and what do you where do you see where do you see yourself going like do you see yourself going back into the business side of radio do you see yourself getting maybe a studio again do you see yourself trying to keep writing successful crossover I'm not going to call them pop but crossover records yeah where 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 like you know, I'm not asking for your life plan, but just just your gut at the minute. Where are you feeling like you might you might go in the next five years or so? Like where where are your feelings right at the minute? Um, I've a, I've a ten year plan. Okay, that's kind of where I'm at. You don't um, have to reveal it all now. So, but <laughs> oh no, look, I mean, ultimately it is to have you know a, a show together. To be in, I mean, for me, I have dreamt of being. You know, I mean, you're talking to a guy who used to obsess about trust. You know, and chains and motors and the type of of scan that was up there and the type of mist machine they're using yeah. and the pyros that they're firing yeah. and the lasers that are there and the subs and Talk the amp and yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean to me it was always like that is the ultimate goal for me is to to stand back at some point and go this is my production okay you know all of this stuff is here because it's part of my show okay now. I'm still a fair bit away from that I think just in terms of trying to narrow it because yeah. that's the problem it's trying to take everything that I've done over the last into, 15 or 20 years and turn it into, into a something show. into yeah. a show um, and look I had this conversation this morning with somebody whereby you know it could be the track at the moment is Medusa yeah you know and I think to a certain Matt, extent Matt yeah. yeah I mean there's I no there's, there's history there but to a certain extent they've kind of been caught with their pants down that they've got this massive track and I don't think they have what's next so from what I can see from his Instagram he's in the he's in London at the moment the room with a, a writing Nathan, crew Nathan was part of it as always well, mm. Nathan C who I've worked with in the past yeah and I, there's quite a lot of them that were in on that record I think. yeah so t- to me that kind of game really gave me hope because I was going you know what you just got to keep trying and at some point something is going to turn into something which becomes much bigger and greater than everything else yeah. and then you can go with it because you've got the attention because people are going so very I mean we could I think you and I could probably 
do an hour's worth of chat just about that record because it's a yeah. bit, for me it's very interesting like it's very it's very of the moment yeah it's almost like for me it's almost like cola meets james hype like yeah. it's, it's like a cool vocal but with a bit more energy in yeah. it but they've done a very clever production to to hold it yeah like because i would have been if I was in the studio, it'd be very tempting to just keep adding things to that record yeah. to try and give it more like energy. Yeah, but they did very well, like keeping it back. Yeah, and, and that's something that I've come to learn over the last couple of years, in particular, is. Um, and I just finished something last week where I was going, mm, like, I can't, and then I'm going, no, you've got to stop yeah. because if you go to a site like and, and download stems, like I think it's Rue Acapellas yeah. or something yeah. like yeah. that, you yeah. can actually download stems, I've which will give you the drum track, the yeah. bass track, and so on. And when you actually break down something like Dua Lipa's, like, massive hit. So basic, it's nothing, man. But remember, um, what's-his-face produced it, didn't he? 212. And didn't the oh, Dutch yeah. guy produce it, who, Basto or something, he, I think he produced it. And, like... This is it at the Banks? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's like, I mean, obviously her vocal kills yeah. it. Yeah. But what he put down was, yeah. there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I find that... Cause and, it was, and funny enough, the same with the Nervous remix, was it's kick and click. It's kick, click, baseline. And it's, and and it's what you said much. before about that reverse engineer thing, really trying with me, because it's something we do in the studio a lot, which is try and rip things apart. Yeah. And when you get there... Who was talking about it? Someone was talking, I think it was Michael Gray. Another shout-out to that Ridney podcast. Um, Michael Gray was talking about The weekend. Obviously, Michael Gray won part of full attention, yeah. and he was just saying like he'd heard the st- he'd years previous he'd been given um, Cheeks Good Times to remix, and he'd been given the actual stems. Uh-huh. He said, "Totally opened my eyes because there was hardly anything in the stems. Yeah. They were all just so fucking good individually yeah. that when you put them together, yeah. you didn't need to put like." Um, and he said one interesting thing about this record. He said the same thing was happening with the weekend as he was building it. But he said, if you go back and listen, there's, there's no crashes and bushes and sweeps in the weekend because mm. the track just does yeah. all the work. Yeah. The bassline just does all the energy. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's super interesting. And when you listen to it, you kind of go, oh man, that's such a good idea. And it's just a basic just idea. A little good idea. Cool, right, we're going to. That's what it's about. We're going to wrap it up. So I didn't answer we... your question about Irish Nightlife. Irish Nightlife's fucked. Right, well, we'll leave it at, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. The last, the last, how we finish every podcast is I ask for a. Like a dream gig, right? So basically, you have to give me a venue. It can be op- it can be open or closed. It can be it has to be real in some sense of the word, so you can describe it to me. But like, yeah. it can be a venue, it can be a club, it can be a bar, it can be a bedroom with your sister's thing, whatever you want. There's okay. got to be a venue. Yeah. And you get three acts. Oh. Wow. You get a first act, a second act, and a third act. The reason I say like that is, it doesn't mean that the final act, a headliner. Some people do it in different ways. Some people have like the headline in the middle, and then yeah. you know, cut it down. Some people build up to the final act, and I, I use acts because when I perceived this idea they were all going to be DJs or, or dance acts but some people have thrown some right curveballs in there and it's okay. always interesting so you can be on the bill if you want oh, in, wow. any, in okay. any form that you want, like <laughs> um, and or you can just be an attendee at this event but this is how we wrap the podcast up so I want your venue and I want someone to open someone in the middle and someone at the end to close wow dream dead or alive open or closed jeez you're going to have to edit out the, the amount of time that it takes me to come up with this <laughs> <laughs> um, venue I don't know I'm kind of stuck between something you know massive on the scale but then bring it down to a point where it becomes really special because you're seeing a bit more intimate more intimate you know so that's kind of that's a tough one um, so we say a mid-sized venue which would probably be 
somewhere warm. Okay. Definitely somewhere warm because you want to be sort of standing there in a t-shirt and okay. shorts, you know, and comfortable, not okay. having to worry about the fact that it's cold or you've got a jacket around your, okay. your waist or something like that. So where exactly? Do I need to give you a location? Doesn't, no, that's no. fine. Yeah, so is it indoor or is it outdoor? Oh, it's outdoor. So it's outdoor, yeah. but it's but it's not massive. It's no. like there's maybe a, what a few thousand there or something. Yeah, a stage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Temperature's good. Yeah. Wind speeds low, so yeah. you don't get. Are the we talking that much? of high end sun going down. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's just before dusk. Yeah. Um, who's on first? Who's on first? Oh wow! <laughs> what if I say the wrong one first? We can rearrange them. You're in charge. Can we arrange about the last? Yeah. And why? Why am I saying? Why am I saying this person? Is it because it's a commercial decision to sell tickets? No, no, not at all. Not at all. This <laughs> is, is this for the love this of us. This is. This is. Well, it's your show, so you can be on it or you can be on it. Yeah. But it's your show. No, I couldn't be on it. It's your, it's your dream. That's, just, that's far too uh, self-indulgent. Stephen was on it. My, was he? Was he? <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you can't put yourself on the same bill. Do you know where I am? I'm back at the mixed tower. I'm, yep, doing, I'm doing front yeah, of the house. Okay, yeah, so I like that. that's where yeah, I'm at. I like that. Uh, which would be the best place for, for me I to like be that. in the situation. Like yeah. Um, who's going to open it up? Jesus. I actually did a gig just while you're thinking. I was lucky enough to go and do a gig in in India, and it was just this sort of venue you're talking about. It was like uh-huh. an outdoor sort of stone amphitheater with a sort of stone stage with a little kind of like bit of rigging over the top of it with some lights and you know the truss and all yeah, the stuff you yeah. like and it was in Goa and the sun was just going oh, down wow. like as I was sort of DJ and it was like just just when you described that venue and I was like and it was like the temperature was perfect yeah. it was like just a little breeze off the ocean yeah, but not cool. too much and it was just like to keep you cool <laughs> yeah, and just when you described that I was like that's where it is <laughs> So, I'll give you the three people that were on the bill now. Okay. <laughs> no, no, they were. No. Um, do they have to be dance acts? Or? No, not no, at all. Really, yeah. you want, dead oh, or alive. Man, Jesus. Oh, man, you're going too wide. Way too wide. See, I'd love to say something like Rage Against Machine. Oh, you can open, say that. You know, because that, well, you they know, can open it. Rage Against Machine can open. Yeah, that's you're mixing them, obviously, yeah. so that's just, yeah. how, oh, that's just a dream it. for me, you know? Yeah. Um... I don't know. I probably have to put Calvin Harris in there somewhere. In the middle? Yeah. Are we talking DJ set or are we talking old school, shaggy hair, buck teeth, live set with no, him singing? No, probably DJ set. DJ set, Because I cool. think that he, what, he's, he's kind of come into he's, his own a, in the yeah. last few years. Yeah. The earlier stuff was good. Like, they're good songs and all, but I think he's kind of at okay. the point now where so he's... Rage Against the Machine, Calvin Harris. Calvin Harris. <laughs> and who's going to... Mate, this is some tickets, wow. mate. Who's going to close? So who's going to close it? I'm only saying this because I can't like that. I'm, there's like so many people coming to mind, but there's one live show that I've seen and that I have the DVD and that is on Spotify. And I listen to it uh, mostly when I'm in the gym running. Okay. okay. And it's one of those sort of start to end masterpieces. Okay. And it just. It's it's definitely of a, As a, performance, of a time, not yeah. an album. It's a performance. It's a performance. Okay. Yeah. Um, the album is called Everything Is Everything. Yeah. Or Everything Everything. Yeah. It, it's on the world. Yeah. Um, it's just one is of those. Is that like Res? Is that like Cowgirl? Yeah. Pearls Girl. Yeah. Jumbo. Yeah. Born Slippy. Yeah. But it's it's Underworld in their peak. It's, and it's it was, Underworld with Darren Emerson. Yeah. And it was a show that was recorded in Tokyo, I think. And it's on Spotify and. Get it, 
save it to the phone for yeah. the flight home or, yeah. or whatever I've, I've heard it and oh, it's just and there's just moments in that, that no matter I mean even now I'm feeling like that because to me that's music to, to me to be at that point of putting that kind of music together and putting it on a stage and performing it for people it just goes from one bit to the next where you're just going oh man beautiful beautiful stops for a sec comes in with the intro to something else and well, I'd like, that. I'd like that show. Um, Mark McCabe, it's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you very much, sir. <laughs> nice to meet you. My pleasure. Thank you, man. <laughs> Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are.